Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and every week we come to you with trends and topics from the wine world. Hi there, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim, and every week we love to talk with you about things that are going on in the world of wine. So Mark, want to know what interesting things you Googled this week about uh, wine or beverage? This week, Kim, I was looking up what we call the sides. Pesticides, fungicides, ah. herbicides the, on use in crops in California. And I was just by it was curious what's the most, what are they being used on? The highest use of pesticides was for strawberries. Mm-hmm. Strawberry yeah, berries growing. is a big one. And they use 282 pounds per acre. 282 pounds. That's a lot of pesticides. Huge, right? Alfalfa was the lowest at only five pounds per acre. And and grapes were actually in the middle, again, hmm. at 49 pounds per acre. Just I actually thought average. grapes were higher because I think grapes are always in that. Have we ever seen that uh, dirty dozen list that's come out, that yeah. comes out every yeah. year? Yeah. Grapes and apples and berries and things are always in the top of that list. So I'm actually surprised that well, grapes that, are in the middle. Is that worldwide? Or, this is California only. This is California specific? Yeah. So that's good. I think it's that's I think that's U.S., but it could be it could be worldwide. Strawberries, strawberries. Wash those strawberries. That's right. right. Jeez. Or buy organic you, strawberries. What did you Google? So I was looking for a variety of different moscatos that are out there. I had a guest who was looking for an alternative to some of the big bulk moscatos for an event, and they didn't want to go with a moscato diosti, which is a sparkling moscato from the north of Italy that is yummy light, but does have some bubble to it. So they were looking for something that wasn't yellowtail, but that wasn't a bubbly Moscato. And I was looking for what other things were out there. And there's actually quite a variety of interesting Moscato-based wines in the world, some that are dry, most that are are off-dry. And we've spoken before about Rieslings that are the off-dry style, so something with just a little bit of sweetness to it. And there are a lot of really nice Moscatos out there. So there are some still ones from Italy. I found a great one from Sicily. There are some other ones from Northern Italy, really interesting wines also from Israel, from California, from Spain. You know, there's some really good diversity of Moscato out there. And the great thing about them is that they are not expensive. I don't think I found anything that would retail for over like $15 a bottle. So if you like semi-sweet wines, look for some Moscatos out there as a nice alternative to Rieslings. Italian. Good Italian. value for Moscato. Good value from Sicily. Fizzante style. Nothing Not sparkling? Not Fizzante. No, we Nothing were staying sparkling? away from bubbles. Wow. Yep. That so. was the big turnoff of Moscato Diasti? I think so. The, the I think fizz? it was the bubbles. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They wanted a table wine that was Moscato and that had a little bit of sweetness to it. So it was, uh, I got to put on my wine detective hat, which I love to do. So the first article was quite interesting that we want to talk about was from Decanter Magazine, and it was about a study of sommelier's brain scans. So we are in the science realm and learning about what could be gleaned from people who have been trained in smelling wine for a living and how this actually impacts the structure of their brain and how this could be used in research for research into Alzheimer's awareness and 
and hopefully some cures for some degenerative brain diseases. I've seen so many documentaries on this type of brain studies, but when it's related to wine, of course, we love it. And I think one of the things our listeners have probably seen it too, is that when you do certain things, you can activate parts of your brains that people, not everybody uses. So the same thing is happening with these wine tasters. They are tasting so well and developing their brain in locations that you and I are not doing. And they can actually scan with MRIs and detect the brain being activated in spots other people are not using. So fascinating stuff. And it's not even just the activation of certain parts of the brain, you know, those those neural connections that are taking place, but there are physical changes to the brain tissue for certain people. So there was a study that focused on master psalms, so people who've pretty much spent their whole careers training in wine, and these brain scans of the, um, it's called the entornal cortex, were physically thicker in these master sommeliers than they were in other people. So there are these physical changes that can take place in your brain depending on the certain activities that you do and even the certain things that you think about. So this area is responsible for processing smells, but it's also responsible for other activities like memory and emotion. There's a lot of overlap with different ways of learning and different ongoing learning structures. So I think that that is really cool and it gives some good information on how do we then research different ways of using the brain or different activities that we can do that will then strengthen different parts of our brains. So pretty cool. There was a woman... I'm trying to think of, was it Bosker? She wrote a book. It was called Cork Dork. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking she's the one. I, I've read two books on but I think she's the one who became a sommelier and they actually put her in an MRI while she was tasting and describing the wine and they could see the brain. I remember this, I think she's this the study, one. but I don't remember who the person was who did it. But yeah, I remember the MRI thing. But it makes, it makes sense, thing. doesn't it, Kim, that the more you taste and the more you work on your descriptors, you should be activating or storing things in your brain that other people are not going to that level. So it makes sense. We're always told that as you get older, you need to keep doing things that stimulate your imagination or that stimulate your brain, whether it's word puzzles or reading or even just like interactions with other people. So staying social and that by doing these activities, you stay healthier because your brain stays engaged. And this is very important as we age. And so this just adding another element to that puzzle that, okay, this is another activity that wouldn't ordinarily think of wine drinking, (laughs) you know, wine appreciation as one of those activities that can keep our keep our brains alert, but it's almost like, okay, going to a museum and appreciating art or going to a concert and appreciating music or cooking or painting. It's all kind of in the same category. So I love that using your olfactory glands and, you know, smelling and tasting that these things are, yes, they're aesthetic and they're pleasant, but they're also showing a benefit to our brains as well. Wine tasting is way more fun than doing a crossword to me, but, <laughs> right? So. Well, for you, so yeah. So what's the bottom line of the data they get? How are they going to relate this to other things than why? So I, what they're saying is that because the same areas of the brain that are responsible for processing smells are also responsible for things like memory and for things like emotional processing, that there could be these links that we can learn about 
by following how people who are trained to use their noses and how they process things, we can then use that data to see if there are ways that we can then develop methods to help people who maybe are having problems with those areas of the brain and come up with ways to strengthen those those areas. A lot of the sommeliers, the people who pass the sommelier exam, they, they write books of how did they train their palate? How did they train themselves to learn things? And a lot of times I see where we can say we smell cherry or we smell orange, but they will hold vials of, of a aroma. And what they recommend is just smell it all day. The same thing. You know, this is oak, this is fruit, this is whatever. And over time, you don't even have to bring it as close to your nose. And right away, your brain's like, that's cherry. That's oak. That's this. That's that. And I always thought, okay, every day I'm going to take, like, we have the aroma kits. I'm going to take one of those and I'm just going to smell it all day long. But I never did. But I, that's how they train their New brains. Year's resolution, Mark. That yeah. should be your New Year's resolution. Smell a new scent yeah. every day from the smell kit. I have to borrow your kit, kit, though, because mine smell all the same <laughs> now. Right. Yeah, we'll, we can borrow my smell we'll kit. We'll work on it. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you today. If you'd like to learn more about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to learn more about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. If you'd like to follow our show, you can find us on Facebook to ask us questions at The Wonderful World of Wine. Our past episodes are on iTunes and SoundCloud. Next, we want to talk about an article that was in the Epic Times about what to watch in the wine world. And this was things that were found at an expo in New York. The first thing, Kim, I guess these are trends, right, that they're seeing at this expo. So trends, you know, we like to follow trends in the wine world. And Vin Expo took place in New York City, and this happens every year. And I think that this is a good, we're looking for what the trends are. This is from more of an industry perspective. So good for us to uh, take a look at what other folks in the wine world are saying, what other folks in the wine world are talking about and are seeing as the upcoming trends for the next year. So what's the first one that they talk about, Mark? Well, the first thing is every if with every product out there, wine prices will increase. And we talked in past episodes about tariffs and they're talking about French wines will be increasing, with tariffs are increasing. I've seen this a lot with, in general, with like Napa Cabernets. Over the years, prices of Napa Cabernets are going up and up and up. So what about you, Kim? What have you seen for price increases in the wine world? Yeah, we have, we've seen some price increases as well. In this article, they talk about it being a possible result of climate change and the adaptive measures that either winemakers or grape growers are having to do in order to combat that because there is more that needs to be done from a hands-on perspective, whether you are pulling leaves or irrigating differently or having to plant new grape varieties. There's a lot more work that is going into it now to sort of combat either colder winters or more water or less water or higher temperatures in the summer. So as grape growers are responding to what the environment is throwing at them, um, that is adding to the cost of the wine. Have you ever seen a wine price go down? Never. And this is what, <laughs> the reason I ask is 
a lot of times if you see if you're drinking your everyday wine and you see for some reason it went way down what would you think the reason would be supply and demand to someone has too much of yeah. it or it's an older vintage or something like, like that we but. used to hear about this wine lake like that there was all of this overproduction of spanish wine italian wine french wine and california wine i'm not hearing so much about the wine lake anymore are you no it, it's funny though kim in the liquor side like there's so much competition in like vodka say mm-hmm the imported vodkas have been lowering their price, oh, which is something you never saw before. But the wine side, no one's doing that. Yeah. I have been certainly hearing about less wine being made than previous and that it changes in how people are consuming. So people might be drinking less wine, but they're drinking better wine. So the price per bottle is going up, but people are buying fewer bottles, but they're still spending the same amount of money, but on less volume. Yeah. And or you hear stories where there's so much extra juice available and mm-hmm. people are creating all these other labels, but they're not pricing it that there's excess juice out yeah. there. That's that's what I see anyway. But our listeners just keep an eye out. Usually nothing you can really to anything nothing's going down in in price so just be aware the second thing they said to watch out for trending in wine is storytelling with technology we've talked about this a few times in the past Mm -hmm. where you need some sort of technical gadgets or something to help you learn or, or buy in the wine world. I like that they sort of put their finger on educating through entertaining, sort of using fun, interesting tidbits or little bits about history or about the winemaker, something that will grab people's attention that is entertaining and educates about the wine in a manner that makes people want to engage with it. So I think that that's what this is all about, sort of that edutainment yeah. <laughs> is a term that I don't really like but yeah it's not fits just the bill about here. me and you telling a story or educating a story about wine it's like we now have to use a, a massive powerpoint presentation or, or tell you to go to your phone and use an app to understand the story right, right? that's the way i'm talking that's Maybe that's what they're saying augmented yeah. reality to take you to the vineyard because me telling you about it isn't as good right or right? that you can use some sort of app or tech to have almost like a one-on-one conversation with the winemaker or or learn you know things about the winery itself the next thing to watch for in the world of wine, according to this expo, was biodynamic and organic wines are now mainstream. I think that this is fairly spot on. I still don't think that the biodynamic thing has really caught on with everyday consumers. I mean, it's been a, a category and a topic of conversation in the wine world for us wine professionals for decades, but I don't necessarily think that it's something that consumers are looking for. I certainly have not been asked about biodynamic wine, but I do get asked about organic wines, about sustainable, sustainably produced wines and lower calorie kind of quote unquote healthier wines. Those are the things that I have seen that people have been asking me about. So I think that this idea that organic has gone mainstream is seems fairly consistent with what I've what I've been noticing. And they're saying thirty percent of consumers are interested in these types of wines. But like you were saying earlier, Kim, are they understanding? Are they understanding? I think if people understood them, then that percentage would be huge mm-hmm. because they want something to know what's yeah. going into their wines. So. But especially for the organic labeling for wines in the U.S., the labeling system is confusing for wine. It's not as cut and dry as it is for say carrots. So if the system were a little bit 
more transparent, I think it would be a help to consumers, frankly. Do you ever see that on a wine list in a restaurant where it's an organic section or is it just usually all incorporated? Usually all incorporated. I do see that some restaurant wine lists do make a point of putting it on their list. I've also seen wine lists where they might put if it's a vegan wine or if it's vegetarian friendly or other things. And I think that those notations are more useful to consumers. Gluten-free is another one. You know, that I think helps people because those are terms that they understand much more than biodynamic does. The next trend, Kim, you're going to love this one. because uh, It's saying rosé and sparkling wine trends are not fads. They're not fads. They're not going anywhere. We've talked about the rosé thing since we started doing this show it's always trending it's getting popular and sparkling and they're they're saying rosés in the $20 to $30 range are rising Mm -hmm. I see this especially on restaurant lists it's nice to see that more and more restaurants are having sparkling wines as regular go-to wines as opposed to just pop open a bottle for celebration it's nice to see them for an aperitif if you want to have a glass of wine as you start your meal before maybe you order a bottle or in place of a cocktail i really like that a lot of restaurants are now pushing some bubbles instead of that so that that makes me happy so do you think this rosé price point range is being driven because the trend is happening in the restaurants? Because like a, a $10 rosé in a retail store is a $30 bottle in right. a restaurant. So you think they're going, I mean, this is a New York expo. So do you think restaurants, $30, which would be their low end? I don't think that this is all? restaurant pricing that they're talking about. I think that this is more like 20 30 on a retail shelf. And I think that this is a matter of people trading up. Maybe they are tired of that $10 $12 bottle of rosé and they know that it's a style that they like and they are looking for a more special bottle and so then we'll trade up to that higher price point. Yeah, so they a consumer that's been following the rosé trend for years now mm-hmm. started with the $6, $10 now they every year they might yep. be moving up. That's what I think this is. Yeah, I can see that. Yep. And the, the sparkling trend, Kim, they're saying, once again, our old friend uh, Prosecco, Prosecco is getting people interested in sparkling where they're at the point where I like Prosecco. Let me start exploring other sparkling wines. Yep. And I think that it's easier to recommend something new to these people who are comfortable with the style and now will we'll be a little bit more open to trying something new. And I really love this idea of sort of like gateway styles of wine, which is something that, you know, you start off with other people have talked about it. So you give it a try. Prosecco really is sort of the gateway bubble for a lot of people because it's a little bit more user friendly than champagne, I think. And then once you get into the idea of, hey, I like bubbly wines, it's much easier for me to say, if you like this, let me give you something else that is different grape, maybe slightly different production method, but still has those nice bubbles that you're looking for, good fruit. Let's let's get you to try all of these other wonderful things with bubbles that are from other places. So I'm hooray for Prosecco. Yeah, you know, they, it started, they, this trend of Prosecco started, producers bringing more things into the country. Uh, just recently, I saw a producer that had a sparkling wine from France. It wasn't a Champagne. It wasn't a Cremant. It was a sparkler somewhere north of Burgundy. But the, the reason it couldn't be a Cremant was because it was made a uh, tank style. Oh, okay. yep. So it's just another version of a sparkling for something different to get people to like sparkling wines. Yep. So I think the Prosecco, once again, started a great trend. The last trend, Kim, they said that we're going to see is rising whites. 
I love this. <laughs> Not <laughs> only just wines. because I am a white wine drinker, but when you take the long-term view of wine trends, we see this happening all the time. And and when I say long-term, I mean like decades. So when we talk about wine consumption in the U.S. in the 1980s, it was mostly white wine consumption and not just in the U.S., like in other places as well. So looking 30, 40 years ago, it was more white wine was consumed. And then white took a dip and it became the time of the red wines, you know, big, powerful, fruity, extracted reds. And now there seems to again be that shift where now we're shifting more towards those lighter wines that are made from white grapes. So we've got whites, we've got rosés, different lighter style that maybe aren't these big, powerful, heavy, alcoholic wines. And this does seem to be the way that things are going. If we look at the rise of seltzers and the rise of these other lighter beverages that, that consumers are moving towards, I think lighter white wines move in the same exact direction that consumers are sort of saying that they, they want these beverages to be at. Years ago, Kim, it was like a 70% white, 30% red consumption. Mm-hmm. Now it's kind of went 70, 30 the other way. Do you think it'd ever get to a 50, 50? <sighs> I don't know. But, you would think that the, that it would sort of even out and be half and half, but it never seems to be yeah, that way. Seems to be, no, I, it seems to be because of the seasons, especially in our area. It's fifty. You know, it's more white in the summer, more red in the winter, and it would even <laughs> out. But it never goes that way. So the other day we had an event where we had Italian whites, and the point of that was to show people there's more whites out there than Pinot Grigio for Italians, right? So we had Falangina, we had Greco, we had Fiano. Did you think people were receptive to other whites? Absolutely. Yeah. And I try to talk about this all the time when I talk about Italy, that Italian whites are so much more than just Pinot Grigio. You know, people are familiar with Pinot Grigio. They're comfortable with Pinot Grigio. But if you like that style of wine, there is so much else out there that is, I think, a little bit more interesting than Pinot Grigio. Good value, really delicious, great with food. You know, it hits all those points that consumers are looking for. And if we see more of this trend towards white wines, I think that the whites of Italy are certainly going to benefit from this. In this article, they were saying Sauvignon Blanc for white is trending. And it seems to be, Sauvignon Blanc is always a pretty steady thing to me. I just wish it would trend towards the non, maybe New Zealand uh, Sauvignon Blancs, because mm-hmm. that's what I see still popular, it's New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Yep. I don't know what you see on, on I do the too. restaurant side. Yeah. But. Sauvignon Blanc is very popular and is even in some cases outperforming Chardonnay as far as what consumers are looking for. And I see this more on, on other wine lists and restaurants as well. Do you see this move towards other interesting whites? And Sauvignon Blanc now seems to be the go-to for a lot of people instead of Chardonnay. And when I do a lot of my private events, I have to have one white. The default is sort of often Chardonnay, but sometimes I will have my default white be Sauvignon Blanc because it is refreshing and a lot of people know it. And frankly, it's delicious. Do you think that trend is because people want to get away from oak white wines? Possibly. You know, very rare Sauvignon Sauvignon Blanc, Oak, yeah. you know, Fumé Blanc. But I see that. I think people are getting sick of the heavy whites that are Oak. Tired of the Oak. More yeah, freshness. I've seen a little bit of that as well. You're 
listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are hosts Mark and Kim. You can find out more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com and more information about Mark at franklinliquors.com. So now we want to talk a little bit about oak barrels. I know we talk about oaked wines and oaky wines, but we want to give you a little bit of the nitty gritty about oak barrels and how they actually impact uh, the wine that you are drinking. And we're going to spend more time talking about reds because the majority of red wines that you see, not maybe not the majority of red wines, but most of the oaked wines that are out there uh, are red wines. So why an oak barrel? You want to give a little bit of information to our uh, our listeners yeah, about why why oak specifically? There's a lot to get into with oak. My question, I want to start with you, Kim, before we get into why oak, because <laughs> the whole thing we're going to talk about is why oak. When you explain to someone, if you say to someone, do you like an oaky wine? How do you describe it? So I really try to dial into the flavors that a barrel of oak gives a wine that has been either fermented in that barrel or aged in that barrel. So I want to talk about toasty notes or spicy notes or vanilla and coconut, you know, the actual taste sensations that you're getting. There are other things that aging in an oak barrel does to a wine that are a little bit more subtle and I think a little bit harder to talk about. It's more detailed and a little bit more in-depth. It changes the tannins, it softens the wines, but first and foremost, I think it's about those flavors. See, so what I did just there, you explained why oak, <laughs> how you explain it. So you, you saved me there from that. Go. But for me, when I'm analyzing a wine, I always think earth, wood, and fruit. I always think earth, wind, fire. But Earth earthy is the wine earthy is it woody or oaky or is it fruity so i get a lot of weird looks when i say to someone you know, do you like fruity cab do you like a, a earthy cab do you like a, a oaky cab and they a lot of times they have no clue what you mean by the term oak because they're just used to drinking it mm-hmm. well a lot of times when you have a wine it can be very overpowering you're you're tasting wood you're tasting sawdust you it, it it depends and how the impact can be very significant and the article we we're going to focus focus on is the what French oak specifically does. So we're talking a barrel that's made with French oak. Wine goes in it. How does it affect the wine? What is it doing to the wine? So that means an oak tree that was literally grown in France. And there's, well, there are a lot. And we generally will use either oak that was grown in France or oak that was used in, uh, grown in America. So you'll often hear, is it American oak or is it French oak? And they're two different species, but they lend a lot of sometimes similar flavors, but then also some different flavors. Yeah, and the listeners are probably saying, look, you know, what is, it's oak. What is it's it? Oak. Like, There's geeky people <laughs> that can taste the wine and say, that's American oak, that's French oak. And the reasons why we'll, we'll tell you right now, but it's an amazing thing when you think about it, how this oak impacts the wine. So first, Kim, they said, uh, for French oak, how does it affect the taste? The first thing is that French oak has more tannins than American oak, two and a half times more tannins. Right. So that adds that bitterness to the wine. And it adds that texture in your mouth that when you taste the wine, it feels fuzzy or gritty or drying on your tongue, uh, which for a lot of red wine drinkers is in a very, very pleasant feeling. So by aging in an oak barrel, you're adding these textural sensations to the wine. So if you put a Cabernet in a 
French oak barrel, it actually softens. Which seems counterintuitive because Cabernet skins and Cabernet grapes have a lot of tannins to them. So you'd think if you put a highly tannic red wine in a barrel that then adds tannins to it, that you would just have too many tannins. But the chemical interaction between the two types of tannins does seem to soften and make the wine much more pleasant to drink. The, The next impact on oak is the oak actually has pores. So some oak is tighter poured. Is that probably how mm-hmm. you would say? Tighter pores? pores? And French oak has more pores. It's more porous. So there's more evaporation going on in the barrel. Right. So as more water evaporates out of that wine, you end up with a more concentrated liquid in there. So that usually the concentration adds to the quality. So if you've got a more highly concentrated wine, you've got a better wine. Also the French oak, Kim, we said it's tannic oak, but it's what they call less aggressive tannins. Yeah, it's a little more subtle as far as the flavors of the oakiness of the barrel itself. So a lot of the flavor terms that we associate with American oak, where we might talk about herbal notes or coconut or vanilla or this like real aggressive spiciness, um, you don't necessarily get slapped across the face with it when you have an oak barrel. So the flavors are a little bit more subtle and it's a little more about the texture and not so much about a woody flavor. Yeah, so now when you hear or read a wine descriptor and it's saying it's vanilla, it's spicy, it's coconut, now you can relate that to it's because of the oak barrel that that wine is in. And like Kim was saying earlier, there's other chemical things going on in that barrel that affects and adds things to the wine. Very geeky stuff. We'll just, we'll just say it adds spice. All right. And it's, you know, there is more to it than just, is it American? Is it French? There's the amount of time that the wine spends in the barrel. There are different levels of toasting that change the flavor. But knowing the differences between oaked and unoaked, and then American oak and French oak is a great place to start. Yeah, one of the interesting things, Kim, I, I forgot all about on oak barrels is French oak, when they cut the oak in the staves, those staves are aged outdoors, correct? Yes. And American oak is kiln it's- dry. They're kiln dried, so it's so more of an indoor process. Is, it's interesting because it affects the flavors of the wine. Yeah, I had forgotten that too. But uh, all of these ways that people handle the wood uh, do have an impact on the final flavor of the wine. So just like a winemaker with their hands in that wine, they make some decisions that impact the final taste of the wine. Oak comes into play there as well. Thank you for listening to us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We'd like any of your questions or comments and enjoy your day. Cheers.